Morning, church. Good morning, church. Good morning, Shane. Oh, thanks. Cool. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the elders here at the Village Church. And um, you might as well know, I said this at the first service, too. This is my first time preaching up here today. So they didn't do that. Wow. This is also like my first time in the second service. Um, thanks, guys. Um, so I'll go home thinking this is the best sermon that I've ever preached. Or maybe the worst sermon that I've ever preached. But either way, it's going to work out, I think. Um, we've got a wonderful scripture today, a wonderful passage we're going to look at. And I'm pretty excited. I'm really thankful to Pastor Dan um, for giving, the, giving me the opportunity to, to, ha- to have this chance to really study, dig in the scripture, and prepare a sermon. It's really been uh, encouraging and rewarding for me. So I, I thank Pastor Dan for that opportunity. Today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. We're continuing the series in the book of Acts. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. You can look at this as maybe the ultimate small group, the ultimate church. Um, Please join me. If you're looking in your pew Bible, it's on page 780, and it'll be up here on the board. We'll read together. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Would you please pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this chance to read your word, Lord, and we don't take it lightly that we have the freedom to read your word, Lord, to meet together like this on a Sunday morning. I pray that you would send your spirit, Father, to guide us, Lord, to open meaning in your word. I pray you would help me to get out of my way, I get out of your way, Lord, and that you would speak clearly, Father, the truths that you have for, the, for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. All right, so we've been looking at this book of Acts for the last couple weeks, and uh, the, the name kind of says it all. Acts is a book of action. Early on, there's uh, the Holy Spirit's given. We've got fire going on. A church is born. Peter and Paul then reach out and uh, spread the gospel across the world, preaching first to the Jew and then to the Gentile traveling far and wide, what begins is this really small flame becomes kind of a, in that sense, a global phenomenon, and the church really grows to become God's hands and feet on earth. And last week, Pastor Dan preached about the middle part of this chapter, chapter 2, where fueled by the Holy Spirit, Peter gave an incredible sermon, and also gifted because he spoke in one language and was translated by many. And the immediate effect of that was some 3,000 people actually responded to hearing the gospel that day, and they repented and they were baptized. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people all at once getting saved, hearing that word, having that kind of transformation happen in their hearts. Only a short time before in this same chapter, in chapter 2, the original church, well, they were only a small group of people. And they were huddled in an upper room. They had just witnessed Jesus fly up to heaven, their rabbi, you know, drifting away. And they were left kind of wondering what was next. One of the apostles in that group was brand new, just kind of drafted right up off the bench into his role. So, you know, there's a time of kind of waiting, of watching. And yet here they are now, multiplied, 3,000, beyond probably what we can even really understand. So the context for the passage we're reading today is really of rapid and extreme growth. 
It's not a waiting time. It's not a wondering time. People have, have been waiting. Well, they had been waiting for their Messiah. These Jews have been waiting for their long-awaited Messiah for years, and now they're kind of responding to that and being flooded, kind of flung headlong together into a new relationship with God and with each other. This new community gets formed. And this is what we call the start of the church. So just to think about that for a second, what, what would we do if our, if our church, if our body were to grow that extremely? Even a tenth, if we had three, 300 people walk into the village church next week, or even 30 new people, you know, what would your feeling about that be? Would you worry about the structure of our building? Would you worry about do we have enough coffee? Would you worry that, uh, or wonder what, what's happening that this is, this is, uh, this is going on? Why are we growing so much? But I think the truth is, as we look at the, the, the church in Scripture, is that growth is actually a natural position for the church. It's a natural state. Just like kids, and I know I have four of them, and, and plants, things, living things are made to grow, right? And the church is the same way. Despite the fact that many of us may feel uncomfortable with growth and change, and I can, I can admit that myself, growth needs to be expected and embraced if we're part of the church, and we really uh, take that... Um, that membership seriously. And we talk about this a fair bit at the village. Just a couple weeks ago, we split and, and multiplied into two services. And our group has actually grown pretty dramatically in a short time. Growth is kind of becoming our norm here. And if we skip to the end of the passage, we see it again. The Lord is adding to their number day by day. They're still growing. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised by growth, but actually maybe expect that that's what God wants to do as he calls people to himself. A lot of us have seen this on a smaller scale, too. My wife, Kedri, and I host a small group on Thursday nights in our house at one of our community groups, one of our Bible studies, and we've seen that grow pretty dramatically the last couple months, too. Um, it's just kind of a simple formula. We get together, we cook pasta, we eat together, we share our lives, we pray together, we study the Scripture. And in the past couple months, we've grown to the point we've actually expanded beyond the number of chairs that I have in my house. We've multiplied to become two groups, meeting in two different locations on Thursday. And that's wonderful. That's rich. But there's a challenging part of that, too. I've got people who have, I've been meeting with weekly in my home for the last year or two, kind of watching my kids grow up, who now I don't see every week just because of the numbers, just because it doesn't work out that way anymore. So how do you cope with that kind of change? How, 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 do you, how does change affect you as a person? Are you the kind of um, individual who wants to set up rules, kind of get ahead of change, you know, prepare for it, stay in control when it actually happens, be a predictor? Well, today we're going to see how the early church actually decided to cope with change, this extreme growth of 3,000 new people. So this passage that we're reading today gives us hints on how we can live in unity in the midst of a time of change. Verse 42 here is kind of a theme verse for the, for the passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, the, and to prayer. And the order of these, these, these things that they're doing is actually very important. First and foremost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Water break. So what does that mean that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, the, these early believers had the benefit of actually learning from people who had walked alongside of Christ, right? So they learned what Jesus had taught. They encountered the Holy Spirit. They had already repented and become baptized, and now were devoted to that teaching. And that's important because they learned Christ-likeness first, just as Jesus had taught. And they learned the gospel first. And from that understanding, then they became a community. Then we see fellowship happen. And then lastly, they celebrate through communion together. 
This order matters because we have to come to Christ first in order for a community like this to really be sustainable, to really represent what God's made it to be. And here in this passage, we're introduced to a new word, and I'm a little bit of a word nerd, um, so I'm going to introduce you guys to that word too. It's one of my favorites. It's one of the reasons why I was so excited about this passage, and uh, it's a Greek word, and I'm not really a Greek scholar, but we, we got a Greek scholar here in our midst to help me out a little bit. Um, the word here is translated as fellowship. Um, it appears here first and then 18 more times in the New Testament. It's sometimes translated as sharing or participation. The word is koinonia. If you've been in the church or around the church, you might have heard it before. Funny, I like the sound of a Greek word. Koinonia means fellowship. This Greek word is really at the heart of how the early church functioned, how they not only survived, but how they thrived in the midst of, of really rapid growth. And so when we look at this passage, and as I read it in the beginning, you might have seen that, you know, koinonia, it kind of feels good when you first read this community. It's like, ah, you know, they're all loving each other all together. It's a nice feeling. But there's a lot more behind the surface of what's going on at the church. There's a lot of depth to that word koinonia. And we're going to see that as we dig a little deeper into the scripture. Because as you know, um, this kind of thing doesn't come about just out of the goodness of our hearts, right? As Christians, we recognize that there really isn't much goodness in our hearts. The parts that are there are because God's sanctifying us. So we're going to look at um, a little deeper and, and get some uh, words of encouragement and some direction from this passage. And, and three things I'm going to highlight that, are, that we can find here that are marks of a Christ-honoring community are love and action, sacrifice, and commitment. So as we go here, we're going, to, we're going to dig into those a little bit. When we first look at this passage, again, it's sort of warm and secure, and there's a nice feeling. The believers are united. They're close together. Um, it actually says the believers were all together in verse 44. Later on in Acts in chapter 4, there's another scripture that talks a little bit similarly about how this body of believers got along. It says that they were all one heart and soul. And isn't that what we all want in a community, right? We all want to be together. We want to have shared minds, shared heart and souls. We want to be part of something that's bigger than us, but yet feels very comfortable. Maybe it's like the family uh, that you had or the family you never had or, or never felt that you had, but you want to be part of something like that. And it's not hard to read this and feel like, yeah, that's, that's what we want, right? That's what I want. But the truth is, is that community is not just an idea. It's not just a far off. It's not, it's not an idea to be pursued. Uh, a theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, famously said, uh, here's my quote from my sermon, that he who loves community destroys community, but he who loves the brethren builds community. And there's another hero of the faith, uh, Jean Vanier. He was a, a, a Christian who uh, served his whole life working with folks who were mentally and physically disabled, um, kind of like a Mother Teresa type person. And he added to this, um, this is in his words, a community is not an ideal, it is people, it is you and I. And so if you're anything like me, maybe you get excited about the idea of things. And as I was kind of digging into this, I like being scholarly. I like, you know, kind of reading books and learning about, um, you know, what God's saying. And it's easy to get excited about the idea of community that, that, you know, we can be this group of people. A lot of us want to associate with the community right off the bat, right? You want to say, I'm part of this church. I love this community. Or I'm part of this neighborhood. This is my neighborhood. I love this neighborhood. We can get defensive about it. We can really celebrate that idea and claim it. That's our association. But what happens if you just commit to the community and not to the individuals within it? I think sometimes you have a tendency, we can have a tendency to skip past the people that are around us and just kind of jump to, this is my community, this is our community. When we look a little more closely at the individuals around us, we might feel that, well, you know, 
Rich over here, this, this guy is always late for things, right? You know, can I really depend on him? Or, you know, Jim, uh, I get the feeling he talks about me when I'm not around. Or, you know, I got, I got this issue with that person or that issue with that person. That's actually bound to happen just by being together, right, as we rub shoulders together, as we do life together in any church, in any group. But especially in the churches we're serving together, there's going to be a little bit of friction and maybe even a broken bone and some hurt feelings along the way. And to make things even more challenging or maybe, um, it may be worse in your eyes about a church community is that you don't get to pick the members. You don't get to pick who's on your team in a church community, right? God's calling people to himself. These 3,000 people are just coming in the door. They just show up. Because we know that God actually calls into our lives people who he wants to call. And we end up a lot of times with a diverse community like we have here at the village. Most likely people aren't going to be exactly like you are. And I think we find, if you've been here for a little while, um, that God calls us into these relationships for a reason. He calls us to grow by working in a group that has people that are different from us. So I ask you today, do you have damaged relationships maybe or presuppositions about people that are in the body that maybe you can work out? Maybe you need some some forgiveness in your heart. Maybe you need um, some reconciliation. Are you seeking an ideal of community or just the idea? When you think about the village, do you think about this building? Do you think about the emails? Do you think about the pictures? Or do you think about the people, the real individuals that make up the body? Because that's that you, you can't shortcut getting to community without thinking about the individuals. Community is people. And if we're honest with ourselves, community is broken people just like you and me. Unless we learn to love individuals by God's grace, we're wasting our time just claiming to be part of a community. So in the same way that true community requires love and action and loving the individuals who are around us, it also demands sacrifice. There's always a cost to sharing. There's always a cost to koinonia. Whether you're the giver or the one who receives, there's going to be a cost. And verse 45 in this passage is pretty clear about how the Acts community uh, manage their business. It says... They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had any need. Believers actually pooled their resources together to meet the needs of everybody. Again, in chapter 4 in Acts, we see another description of this. It says that there was not a needy person among them. So it seems like it worked. They actually had this uh, working for a time. It's sort of ending of poverty within their midst. But, you know, it came at a cost. It wasn't just a natural thing. It wasn't just an easy thing. And, and the church, um, from what evidence we can see, it's not like they had a fundraiser or, or they reached out to government support. They certainly didn't have government support at that time, applying for grants or sending out support letters. They actually met each other's needs at each other's great expense. There's nothing wrong with doing those kind of things and reaching out to the support structures that we do have, you know, in our city, in our community. But the fact here is that people are giving personally in order to support their brothers and sisters. We see individuals who are are giving away what they own, their own security. They're giving up their own possessions, making themselves a little less rich, right, and a little more dependent in the process. They're sacrificing for each other and receiving from each other. This shouldn't really be a surprise because Jesus has always called his followers to sacrifice. You don't have to turn to it, but if you think back, there's a story in in, uh, the book of Matthew. In Matthew 19, it has a similar story, has a, a very familiar theme, but a different outcome. It's here that the rich young ruler seeks an audience with Jesus. He comes to Jesus and asks what he can do to inherit eternal life. 
And this guy had it, had it together. He was actually, um, said he fulfilled the commandments. He was doing a pretty good job. He would, he'd be a good Christian, I guess is what we might call him today. He was living his life in, in the ways that the scriptures taught. But Jesus tested the depth of his love for his neighbor by giving him a command, by telling him to sell all that he has and give the money to the poor. In verse 21, Jesus tells him, if you would be perfect, go and sell all that you possess and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Well, if you're familiar with this story, it has a sad ending. It has a sad ending. It's too much for this individual to bear. And it says that he goes away sorrowful. He goes away sadly. Does God really call us to do this? Does he really call us? Is the gospel to be that radical that we're supposed to give up everything we have and give it to the poor? I think sometimes we can read passages like that and sort of, um, just kind of blanket them with, well, that was a different time. That was a different place. You know, we don't really need to take that seriously. But, but as I read the Bible and the more I, I dig into it, there's a lot of things in Scripture that seem kind of nutty, seem a little crazy by this world's standards, but they're actually exactly what God calls us to. And in God's kingdom, things are often uh, upside down of the way that we see things in the world that we're living in. Um, an, an example of this, I've been blessed to, to live in a few communities through my life, um, I actually lived in a community in Chicago. Uh, it, was, it was a Christian commune for a brief time called Jesus People USA, no lie. That was their name. They were a group of people who lived on the north side of the Chicago, and they were committed to living together, serving the poor. They actually had this sort of common lifestyle. Um, and I, I'm not going to go into that right now, but I can tell you more about that later. It was a wonderful opportunity to really see, honestly, people kind of push through those individual relationships and, and find unity together. Um, but as some of you might know that I also, I work for Habitat for Humanity. I work for an organization called Habitat for Humanity, and it's kind of um, a well-known nonprofit. We build houses with people in need all around the world. What you might not know is that Habitat actually has its roots in a place called Koinonia, in fact. You see, there's, a, there's an individual, kind of one of my personal heroes, um, named Clarence Jordan. Clarence Jordan was a farmer. He was a scholar. He was a preacher. Back in the 1940s, he was a Georgian, too. He lived in Georgia. Back in the 40s, he took this passage and his, uh, his understanding of the gospel and the way the Acts Church worked, and he applied it to the way that he wanted to live and run a farm. And so he started this farm called Koinonia Farm in Georgia, and they, they had this radical idea that everybody there was going to live as equals, which is radical because it included black people and white people in 1940s Georgia. This is about 15, 20 years before the civil rights movement even take, took off. And so people, Christians, both black, and, black Christians and white Christians, lived together, served together as equals. And even though this is pretty clearly kind of laid out in the Bible, uh, it was not an acceptable way of living for people in the South at that time. And so this group suffered threats, um, violent attacks, pretty much terrorism for about 20 years, and then all the way through the civil rights movement, just for following this example of an Acts 2 church. And there's an interesting second chapter to this story that, that happened in the 1970s. There was a wealthy young lawyer who went down to Koinonia Farm and heard about this group of people, and he met with Clarence Jordan and got to hear him preach and learned about how he read these scriptures and how he applied them to his life. And he, this, this lawyer was convicted by learning that story and seeing it played out around him. So he decided to sell all his possessions and give the money away to, to the poor. And that individual was actually Millard Fuller. He was the founder of Habitat. So it's been kind of fun for me to study this stuff and learn about the history and learn that people actually have lived this way in our modern age. 
Have you ever felt a tug on your heart towards that kind of sacrifices? Are there sacrifices that maybe God's calling you to make in order to be part of, of this community, part of his community? I can tell you for myself, independence is one of the hardest things to sacrifice. And, and this is something that I struggle with. But, it, but a true community really can't exist unless the members are willing to give up their own independence. Because if you can survive alone, well, then you probably will, right? You'll make it work. And this isn't a really popular idea in America, in our culture. We are taught from a young age that we're to be independent, right? That we're to grow up, we're to be strong. Um, even in old age, we're taught, you know, people don't want to be a burden. They don't want to leave, you know, leave a big mess behind, right? And it's okay to be responsible. And certainly God gives us gifts and we're to be stewards and take care of what he's given us. Um, but I question the notion that we're to be that independent, that we're not reliant on the Christians around us. And I struggle with that. I like being independent. I like being the guy who people can go to for help rather, rather than the person that needs help, right? I like to be able to do my job at work competently. I like to be able to do what I say and, and, and say what I do. It feels good to kind of do your part. And if you're not obligated to anybody and you're not in debt to anything, that's actually a pretty comfortable place to live, right? Who, who would choose to really be in need? But as we see here, that's exactly what God's calling people to. It's what the gospel calls us to. It's how the church is to be. And not only the point that we're, we're called to be generous and just give of ourselves, but the fact of the matter is we're, we're, we're called to sacrifice because Christ sacrificed first for us. We're not to do these kind of things just as an obligation to each other. Uh, it should be obvious that there are people in need in our midst. If you've been here for any short time, you'll realize that. But it's, in fact, um, more important to recognize that we're, we're, we are indebted to Christ through his death, through his resurrection, through his sacrifice for us. And that's where our ultimate debt lies. And by, by lining that sort of thing up, by killing the idol of self-sufficiency, of independence, we're then putting Jesus in his right place as first in our lives. And in the fact that actually in our weakness, that's what makes, that's where Christ can make us strong. And again, as I said in the beginning, it's not out of the goodness of our hearts that we do these things. I work for Habitat. I work with a lot of do-gooders. I work with a lot of people who believe that you can just kind of do your part. If we all just pitch in, you know, if we all just do our niceness thing because we have a little bit of niceness inside of us, we're going to make the world a better place. I don't think that's the case. It's rather what Jesus calls us to and the transformation that he makes in our hearts that are going to make a difference in the world. So in addition to love and action and the sacrifices that this Acts 2 church made, their um, community, their koinonia community, was actually marked by a deep commitment to one another. In verse 46, we see the extent of that commitment. It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they've received food with glad and generous hearts. Day by day, every day, they were doing this stuff. So what are you all doing tomorrow? On Monday, because this is what the church does, right? We meet together, right? The church exists outside of Sunday, outside of this building. This is not the kind of group that you just show up to when you need to, when you're feeling sad, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling lost. It's not a bad reason to come to church, but it's not the only reason. Nor is it the place you come to because you're feeling great and you've got a story to share with your buddies or, or you just want to kill time or have some you know, entertainment or that you want to you know, feel normal and everybody here kind of makes you feel normal. Those are good things about being part of a group. But this, this, this group, this Koinonia group, was actually committed to each other that they met in all times, good and bad. They were committed to one another. The early church shared life together, often in just in simple ways. Here it says that they, they ate together. 
And we've talked about this before here at the village about just what happens when you actually share food together. And I think we can see that across cultures around the world, there's something special when people sit down together. Jesus was, was judged by this many times with who he sat and ate with. And there's something to be said about nourishing the body and nourishing the soul together. And, and, and that's actually at our, our Thursday group we eat together. And it kind of helps to build those relationships. It's something we all do anyway. Why not do it together? So are you committed to a community in this way? Are there people here who know you, who you've opened your heart to, you've opened your life to, and you can count on their presence in your lives and vice versa? Do you feel the same way that you can trust them with that commitment? Well, that might seem a little heavy as we talk about sacrifice and and, and the challenges of love and commitment, but in truth... There is a warm and fuzzy part to this. As we look at the end of verse 47, they're praising God. They're, they're gladness in their hearts. There's actually a reward of celebration. Joy really marks this, this body of believers. The true community of God's uh, people is filled with joy and thanksgiving because not only has God, God um, redeemed them, has, has set their hearts right, but he's also met all of their needs, and they can celebrate. So a healthy community celebrates together. We do that on Sundays. That's why we get together together. And when people see this from the outside, it looks appealing. The church is actually to be a place that people want to be. We have our our worship on Sunday morning. This is a place that hopefully people want to come to. And the passage here again says that people, are, they're, they're added to their number day by day. In, in uh, the Gospel of John, verse 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's why we get together, right? To share this love. And that the world takes note of it. Just as the light on a hill, that's what the church serves. But again, it's not about us. It's really about God's ultimate sacrifice for us. So we have to remember that in order to build this kind of community, we have to love each other. We've got to see each other as individuals. There's no shortcut or or a formula for that kind of work to be done. There's no magical um, sort of fairy dust for communities. Just as the early believers committed themselves to the apostles' teaching first, so must we. Then comes fellowship. It's a reward of that. And finally, the celebration of communion. So I challenge you all this morning, are you living a life that's open to your brothers and sisters here at the village? Is it open to those around you who you meet in your day-to-day? Are you willing to sacrifice We have an opportunity now at the village to be this kind of Acts 2 church, and I think in a lot of ways we are. So I encourage you to continue to press in the relationships, be willing to share your needs, share your resources with each other, maybe commit to attending a small group as we've been talking about, that list that's in the back of the church. But maybe you find yourself outside a community today, kind of looking in. Perhaps you're afraid to make that commitment, or even afraid to move forward in a relationship of God or believe that these things that he says are true. My invitation to you is to respond to God's call first, as these early believers did when they heard Peter's word. Repent and accept God's gift of salvation, and then be welcomed and invited into God's community, which will welcome you with open hearts and the love of Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this passage, Lord. I thank you for what it's meant to me to, to think about and dwell about how your believers treat each other, Lord. I ask that you bury this word, your word, deep in our hearts, Father. We might find ways to open our lives to each other, Lord. And I pray that just the truth of it will come, come played out in our lives day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Matt.
Let's continue to respond to the word of the Lord this morning. And one thing I hear a lot, and maybe just from my position, and not so much from our church, maybe maybe it is in our church, I just don't hear it as much, but I hear from a lot of other people, is people are like, man, I really want like the deep stuff. Like, I'm tired of like talking about like fluffy kind of community. I want like deep stuff. And what they usually mean is I want like really high depth theological knowledge or like books that'll just make my head hurt after I read them. And that's what I want. Like I want like a seminary course for it. And you know, and that's good. We're proponents of learning and knowledge and wisdom. We should seek to grow in that. Like if you've got a choice between seeking shallow and seeking deep, choose deep. That's good. Choose deep. But here's the thing. Um, a lot of times that can just lead us to this ivory tower kind of mentality towards the Christian faith as if it's just information gathering. And I, I think that's missing out. I would say one of the deepest things. So for cats who really want deep, here's one of the deepest things you can do. Get into a community like this, find a few other people and start walking together on a regular basis. Because that will be one of the deepest things we can do for our faith to press into people, many of whom might be different than you, think differently than you, come from different backgrounds than you, even process life differently than you, get together with them regularly, week after week, day after day, to a point where that will drive you to Christ. Because because here's what that does. Just like Matt was showing us through the scripture here, the reason we gather together is not to have like a Christian social club. And I think, I fear in in many churches, that's what small groups become. Like just gathering together with like-minded people who happen to share similar faith values so that we can kind of hang out and, and for the sake of just kind of having friends. And that's good. That's good. But that can't be it. That's not the only reason we're talking about community. It's for the very mission of God himself. Because when you get together with other people, I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Living the Christian life is extremely difficult. Have you ever thought about that? I, I mean, I know we're supposed to be all joyful and like, oh man, I'm so happy to be. It's hard. <laughs> Have you thought about it? Some of the stuff Christ, I mean, if you just remove this whole like Jesus kind of like, some of the stuff Christ says is like crazy, like die to yourself. Stop thinking about yourself. It's not all about you. It's about me and it's about everyone else. Consider other people as, as much as you can consider yourself. Share what you have with those who don't, maybe don't have. Stop being so consumed with yourself. Your time is not all yours. Love other people. Sacrifice. Die. You know, he just talks a lot about that. There's no bumper stickers with that, but that's what he talks about. It's extremely difficult. It is extremely hard. And why we need community is to get around some other people because when you're living your life, if you're just honest and you're sitting there in the middle of your life, you're like, man, what Christ has called me to is, it's, it's ridiculous. And no one else around me is living like that. And that's why you need to be around some other people saying, no, you're, you're not the only crazy one. Let's pursue him because there's deeper joy involved here. Let's pursue Christ. And, And we need to be in those ways together. Um, this is just, a, okay, this, I'm, I'm just going to pull this out. Oh, yesterday I was, I had the privilege to be part of the running festival uh, in Baltimore and I'm paying the price right now, but it was really good. <laughs> and, you know, for me, when my body's getting thrown into those things, I get really emotional. I don't know what it is. Like I throw my full like, force into it. So I'm like feeling emotional. At it, so I'm riding back on the light rail. So I'm a slow runner, but I was already done. And like half an hour, hour later, I'm riding back home on the light rail. And I'm looking out at the course because we go right by the course. And I saw people still doing the race, right? They were doing the half. 
half marathon. And there were three people that caught my attention. And, and there was one in the middle was one woman, and she was, she was a little bit older, and you could tell she had a very obvious muscular um, disorder. Like, so she could barely kind of like, it wasn't just because she was tired. It was very obvious she had a certain dis- The thing that got me on both sides where she had two young women holding both of her hands, and they're just basically, they're crawling along, 13 miles, crawling along like this, and they're going to finish together. And, you know, I, I get impressed by those dudes who finish, like, marathons in, like, two hours. That's unbelievable. But what grabs my heart is that picture there of these people who are walking together. No one gets left behind. They're going to do it. Even if they could move faster, they're going to sacrifice for the sake of the other, and they're going to walk through this together. And, and I couldn't help but think, man, that's a picture of how I pray for our church. That's what I pray for our church, that we're hand-in-hand, Some of us are struggling at different times. Some of us feel like we're riding on these clouds at certain times. We're all at different places, but we grab hands with one another. We don't let anyone behind. We're going to do this, even if it slows us down. You know what? When we, what we do here on Sundays, this whole big thing, that's fast and talk to our elders. Sometimes we feel like we're just trying to catch on to God. Like God's moving fast. We're like holding on, like, like trying to say, okay, let us keep up with you, God. That's fast, and maybe for some of you it feels really fast. You're like, wow, things are multiplying quick. You know what's slow? You know where it slows down? When we get into the person-to-person, into groups. That's when these things we talk about big picture, we, we're forced to slow down and get into one another's lives. And, and here's my all to say, what, what I pray for you guys, what I pray for our church continually is that we will be a church not known for how fancy we are, not, not, not known for how like um, high tech we are or, you know, how great our smoke machines are. And we have no smoke machines, but if we ever get a smoke, how amazing and impressive. All oh, that's fine. But here's what I want us to be known by, that, that when people look at us, they would see the, a fierce kind of devotion for one another. They would see like a fierce kind of fighting for one another. They would see a whole group of people, even if they're different from one another, that are going to fight for one another. That when they hear one another's troubles, they don't say, oh, I'll pray for you. I hope you get better. But they insert one another into their lives because we believe that we fight for one another because we believe we have a Savior who fought for us. And that when that's real, when we see how much God would do to make us his, we exhibit that with one another in the same way. And that starts with little things like community groups. It's not going to magical Jesus dust. That's it. Okay, now you're going to sacrifice. It starts with very unromantic at times looking, just getting to commit to being in a group with someone. That's why we talk about groups, guys. It's not really for a quota. I mean, it really isn't. It's so you can start to grow in these ways that you can't grow otherwise. So bow your heads with me. I'm going to invite our music team up to lead us to sing and to respond I have to be careful because I'm about to do a second sermon right now. So I'm going to stop. Matt gave us a good word. But wherever you are at right now, before we sing, we're going to open up the communion table in a moment here to respond as well. But wherever you're at, one of the reasons we come to this communion table is because we recognize, we remember, as Jesus called us to, he calls us to remember the meal he shared with his followers, to remember that in some ways, that first small group where they gathered around and, and they committed to one another. Why? Because Jesus has committed to them. And ultimately our fellowship is determined and defined by this koinonia is bought by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself who gave of himself for those he knew who would betray him. 
And that's what we remember when we come to the table. And if you're a Christian, I would encourage you to come to this table, take a piece of the wafer in the middle, come up both sides, dip it in the cup right there, and remember the broken body and the shed blood of Christ and where your cleansing comes from. And if you're a Christian, would that lead you into being reminded of why do I, in the same way, why do I commit to one another? Not because it's convenient, but for the very sake of my soul and for the sake of Christ's mission. I need other people. And here's the radical part. Other people need me. So often in church, we define community by you can really benefit by it. I'm going to say you might not feel like you benefit from community all the time. But you know what? That's okay because it's not all about you. Someone else might benefit from you being there. It's not all about us. But we need to come to Christ to be able to have any hope of living out that way. So if you're a Christian, I would invite you to come up during communion. Think about those things as you partake of the elements. And again, if you're not a Christian, maybe the first step for you is to say, I want to be part of this larger family called the people of God. And that even though I've been far away from God, he wants me. He calls me to himself. He says, as as much as you've done that's against me, I've paid the price so you could be with me and for me and join the family. And maybe today you can receive communion as a follower of Christ. And maybe for some of us in the middle, it's, it's taking a step to say, well, you know, it's kind of scary, but I'm going to take a step to check out a small group, check out a community group, be with some people who maybe I don't know as well, but it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. So let me pray for us. Lord, help us as we respond to you and however you're leading right now in our lives. And God, we confess, I think I can speak for almost everyone in this room. No one in this room needs another event on their calendar. None of us need another commitment uh, to take up our time. None of us need that. We have plenty to do. But Lord, you're calling us to something beyond just more things to do. You're calling us to the welfare of our very souls. And the very nature of your mission. That getting together in community is not for the sake of just having nice little social interactions. It's the very work of God himself through our broken world, showing to a broken world what it means for people to come together in reconciliation and love. To fight for one another fiercely, just as you fought for us on the cross in Christ. So help us, Lord, to make those commitments, not just for us, even though we will benefit, but for your glory and for one another. And Lord, if that's going to happen, we require the Spirit of God to move here right now. Show us our greater call. So we thank you for being so good to us, Lord. We thank you for this church. And as we come to the table, may we be reminded of the beauty and the sweetness of your people called out together, living day by day in the power of your Spirit. So I want to open up the table. I want to open up time to pray, sing. Maybe take inventory of your life, but also come up and receive the elements, receive the communion table if that's where you are as well. So let's make that our response.